The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. So we're going to talk about prayer this morning, which is everybody's favorite topic. Talking about prayer is like talking about your ab routine. Like nobody feels like they're killing it, all right? Um, And what I'd like to say to you is that prayer is not um, getting God's attention. That is voodoo. Prayer is awakening to the voice and work of God in your life already, already. And it's a very different way to perceive it and uh, partake in it. My friend Justin and I uh, wanted to make some prayer books that uh, help people find a real natural way of praying for them. And uh, our next one is May It Be So, and it releases on Tuesday, and I have some copies, and thankful that Ecclesia allowed me to come in and share about what we were learning. We wanted to make a prayer book about the Lord's Prayer, partly because we think it's really important because it's the prayer Jesus gave us, but it's not necessarily about the Lord's Prayer as much as it's about the thing he says right before the Lord's Prayer, which Jesus says right before the Lord's Prayer, he says, don't use a ton of words like pagans do because your Father in heaven already knows everything you need before you ask it okay, so what are we supposed to pray about then? If you already know, right? So instead, the Lord's Prayer is less about a a series of things to accomplish and more of a reality to live into. It's more of a way to go, this is the reality that I'm I'm going to start to live into. And so I want to explore what it looks like uh, to live into that. And Jesus modeled it really well. In fact, um, one of the things he says is... uh, He's talking to his disciples and Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And then Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Um, I don't know what comes to mind when you think of the way. Uh, I was having a conversation with my dad, who's a delightful man, but he was, (laughs) we were having a spiritual conversation. He was like, do you think that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? And I was like, yeah, but can you tell me what the way means? He's like, what do you mean? And I was like, is it a path? Is it a rhythm? Is it a practice? What, is the, what does the way look like? And he's like, I don't know. It, it means what it means. It means it's the way, right? And so a lot of us, if we took, maybe we haven't really identified the image that is associated with that word, and we're going to talk about images this morning. Uh, but uh, maybe a lot of us think of like, like the nicest bouncer we've ever met, right? And like Jesus is this like, hey, you want to come into the kingdom club? Hold on, you got to come through me. And I don't think that's what he's saying in this. And let's, so we're going to explore maybe like what the way could mean. So this is a rhetorical question. You can shout it out if you want, but don't. Uh, Do you know why we celebrate St. Patrick's Day? Why we celebrate St. Patrick's Day? Not because we love the Irish, although we do. But um, St. Patrick, so when St. Patrick was a teenager, he lived in Britain and he was kidnapped by Irish pirates. And they took him to Ireland and he was enslaved for six years as a teenager, working on a farm for his like slave masters, right? And while he was there, uh, he, a couple things happened. One, he worked out in the fields um, and he started to develop uh, a, a conversation with God. He started uh, 
talking to God, seeing God in uh, nature, and, and developing this conversation with God. The second thing that happened is he began to love his captors. He fell in love with the Irish people, the Celts at the time. And then one night, six years into it, he has a dream, and God comes to him and says, hey, I want you to get up and start walking to the coast. There's a ship there, and I want you to get on that ship and go back home. And so in the middle of the night, he gets up, he sneaks out, he walks for 200 miles, and he makes it to the coast, and he gets on a ship, and he gets back to Britain. He eventually goes to school and becomes a priest, and he's a priest in the Catholic Church for about 40 years. He's in his, uh, or yeah, he's in his late 40s, early 50s. And one night he has a dream, and uh, it's his, it's, it's his, the person who ran the farm, his like slave master. And he says, farm boy, I don't know if it's a, a Princess Bride quote, but he's like, uh, he's like, farm boy, come back to us, come back to us and, and teach us your ways. And so he goes to his superiors and he's like, I want to go back to Ireland. You need to understand at this time in the Roman Catholic Empire, uh, Ireland was the least church place in the whole empire. And so he goes with about 40 artisans and pastors and priests and farmers and winemakers and all this thing. And they go to Ireland and they show up. And what they do is they uh, start talking about the gospel to people, the king, this kingdom. And what they do is they don't go, hey, they don't pull out their swords and go, it's our way or the highway. They start going, God is already in your midst. See the shamrock? It represents the trinity. Right. And the way they would show they would do things like hospitality and dinners. They sh this this actually very much has affected the ethos of Ecclesia. I learned a lot of this from Chris when I used to work here. Uh, but one of the things they would do is how they would teach people how to pray is they would do this. So they would say, and let's do it together. It's just a little meditative exercise. So just close your eyes or, you know, if that's too crazy, just find a spot to look at. But they would say, imagine your garden. You're in your garden. Now, uh, back then, everybody had a garden because that's how you made food. Um, they had no HEB. So they said, imagine your garden. And so for you, imagine maybe you have a garden or a backyard or a park you love going to. Imagine your garden. And Jesus and all the disciples are there. Yes, when we say the disciples, we mean the 12 disciples, but also uh, Mary and Martha uh, the women who supported his ministry. And we could even uh, take it even farther, like disciples throughout time, Mother Teresa, MLK, all of these, uh, you know, all of Teresa of Avila, all of these people who, men and women who served and followed Jesus. Whoever's there, whoever has influenced you, all, Jesus and all the disciples are there. And they're having a conversation. What are they talking about? And this is how they would teach people how to pray. What's happening in this moment? You can open your eyes. <laughs> Unless you're really into that conversation, stay with it. What's happening in this moment? We're using our imagination. We're using our imagination. And our imagination is this faculty or place within us that allows to form images of external objects not present to senses. We all have this capacity. Imagination isn't just for like super creative people like me. Uh, it's for all of us, right? We all have the capacity to do this because we could buy a plot of land and we could like imagine the house we would like to put on there. Or for some of you, you're hosting lunch today and you've imagined the bacon cheeseburger you want to make in the, on the grill, right? 
Or when I was imagining about like speaking this morning, I thought, what shoes should I wear or not wear? If you know this joke, right? So we all have this ability to go, there is a future. I want to imagine this thing. Now, uh, we've all heard about imagination a lot. It's been talked a lot about in our culture. But uh, what I think is interesting is that imagination is about forming images. And I form images for a living. And I have some thoughts about that that I'd like to run you through. So our words are rooted in imagery. Our words are rooted in imagery. We, through our language, are trying to communicate what we're seeing externally or internally to one another, our thoughts or feelings or things we're seeing. Because I might say like she, referencing a certain person, was a moment in time sweating to the oldies, one of the greatest franchise ever created by one of the best people ever existing, Richard Simmons, right? It's a global phenomenon. Maybe you remember it, right? And so uh, my words are referencing a very image that's happening, right? Now, our beliefs are rooted in words, which is our sacred texts, which are rooted in images. Oh, but most of us have grown up, if you've grown up in the certain kind of Protestant tradition, most of us have grown up really not having any images. Or maybe we had really cheesy comics when we were like kids, you know, what we, you know, Jesus blue robe, you know, white robe, blue sash from Norway. You get it? Yeah. So, um, so we have that, but we might actually have images that are working that we don't even realize how they're forming us. For example, if we did this mental exercise, if I was to tell you, I say to you, hey, let's imagine heaven right now. And we'd all took a moment to imagine heaven and we could see inside each other's heads. After the initial shock and horror of seeing what's in your head, we all know it's in there. Uh, we would see very different things. We would see very different things, but we would see some similarities. And I bet you cold, hard cash that those similarities are not based in the Bible. That's words. They have been based in caricatures and comics and cartoons and movie clips that you have seen throughout your life. There's no biblical basis for clouds and angel wings and playing harps. But when I asked this these teenagers at this conference in Tennessee a few months ago about describe heaven to me, they're like, I don't know, clouds, angel wings, playing harps, right? So we have these images that are informing these words and our beliefs and what we're saying. And we really need to pay attention to the images that are there. Because I actually think, because what happens if we don't understand the, the images that our words are representing, we start to become a culture of word policing. You don't, you know, and you like, you didn't, what do you believe? Oh, you didn't say it the way that I said it. I don't know if you're on my team, right? And two people could be talking about the same thing they're seeing, just using different language. I actually also think that when people lose their faith, when they're like, I don't believe this anymore, they're not necessarily, I don't believe the beliefs or the words. What they're saying is the images no longer work for me. I don't believe in God. Tell me the God you don't believe in. And then they begin to describe this picture and you're like, yeah, I don't believe in that one either. What are you talking about? Right? And there's a lot of images that we've associated with our faith, you know, and those not, might not be working anymore. You know, like this one. Just take a moment. You know what you're looking at. This one, this one, um, this one, this one. You know, images like this. You know, this one. That, uh, this is like the James Franco Jesus. The, you know, the buddy Jesus. Yeah, this one. None of these are true. Uh, this one, 
This one. I got tattoos. I like to think that. Uh, great. This one. Ooh. Yeah. This one. This one. You know, all of these images. These are just things that people made up, right? Right? And we can start creating images and associating with different things. They're like, ah, that doesn't work for me anymore. These things don't make sense. Is this really it? Because what these images do is they start to form us and make us come to conclusions about how we should be in the world. And sometimes that conclusion is like, I don't, I hope to never become like that, right? Because what imagination is, it's not the images, it's the space in you. Imagination is a space in all of us to hold images. And the images we decide to hold in there are going to decide the future we're going to create. And our imagination has helped us create some of the greatest things we've ever done and the worst things we've ever done. Imagination got people on the moon, but imagination also figured out how to systematically kill a group of people in gas chambers. It has the potential for both. So we need to pay attention. We need to have a spiritual conversation about what is this place in us that holds images? And what is the future it's drawing us into? So I would like to propose to you this kind of spiritual definition. Imagination is the faculty within you that allows the future, not the musician, but the future to show you what's possible with what's already here. As a practicing artist, I have this interesting experience where I'll be like on a run or walking or something. And then like, ah, I get the download from the Almighty. I'm like, what is that thing? And I'm invited to create like a series of art or images or something like that. And always the process isn't like, hey, you, you got to go to Jupiter to get this. You know, it's, it comes to me and it says, everything you need is already here. The work now is the labor to, to gather all of those things and create this reality. And we're all invited to do that with our lives. So, uh, and let's look at Jesus, how he represented this. He talks about it. Actually, in the same passage in the, when he gives the Lord's Prayer, he says later on, he says, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body or what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? You are. Can you, any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? <laughs> you of little faith. So don't worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly father knows what you need. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus has a very non-anxious presence in the world that he lived in, which is the same world we live in. And what Jesus is speaking to is a way of living, which is like, do you understand that God knows all that you need? Do you understand that your heavenly father is aware of what's going on in your life right now? Don't worry. Don't let that distract you. Live into that kingdom. Live into that kingdom. And all these things that you need will be taken care of. So 
Let's use a metaphor. If imagination is this place in us, let's use this viewfinder, because a viewfinder is a place that holds images, right? So imagination is this place in us to hold images. What I'd like to propose to you is that we could either put uh, the way, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of love, the way Jesus is talking about, we could put those images in us, or we can put images for another way, which is the kingdom of fear, the opposite of love. And uh, let's run through some of the images that go in there. And I would say to you that the premise that the way of fear says, oh, something's in the way. And then the way of Jesus is saying, no, this, this, this actually is the way. So let's look at the images that are in the kingdom of fear that lead us to a destructive future. The first images that we might find right away is, uh, is a-holes. Stay with me, Bible Belt. Stay with me. Now, I'm not saying if you drive a large truck, you're an a-hole, because that would be most of Houston. But I am saying that 90% of a-holes prefer giant trucks. Um, Because you might have come across one of these people on the freeway, and uh, God forbid that you would make any kind of traffic violation in front of them. Say you're in a part of town you don't know, or and like a lane ends and you weren't aware of it, and you're like, oh no, I got to get over. And you just, you know, it, it was... You weren't aware it was a problem. I made a mistake, but you kind of cut off this truck. And then the Batman of the freeway will just, you know, bring the justice and like right into your bed, right behind you with its high beams shining right into your rearview mirror and like burning out your eyeballs. And you're like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Just go by. But they don't. No, they hug you for like 15 miles because they have nothing else to do. Just right. Oh, we're so angry with our cars. We're so angry with our cars. Like right now, we're taking the kindest, kindest vehicle ever, the doe-eyed Wrangler, right? That's just like, where are we going today? Are we going on an adventure? Let's go together. And we've decided to make it angry, like nature, forget you. I'm going to roll all over you. It's really scary out there. (laughs) So yeah, driving around, you might come across Um, (laughs) a-holes. Them, them is anybody you have never sat with, had a conversation with, had dinner with, visited their country, mixed in with a few a-holes. Your dad never wore a turban. So if you see a dad wearing a turban, you're like, I don't know what that is. Uh, you have never been to that country, so if something happens in that country, you're like, I don't know who they are, right? Them is anybody you have no relationship with, and you impose a narrative on them and go, it's not our problem, it's them. They're in the way. Uh, another one is my body. So uh, <laughs> I, uh, this summer, my, uh, we have some friends who... Uh, My friend Tom, he grew up in Newport Beach, California, uh, and so they still have a family house right on the beach, and it's really awesome. They let us use it for free, which is amazing. So my my wife and my kids, we went to Newport Beach for a week, and uh, my oldest son, Anders, is eight now, and he got, there was some like town kids or other vacationing kids, and they were all like boogie boarding, and so he was kind of hanging out with them, but I didn't know who these kids were, so I was like, I'm going to go check on them. So I'm making my way out in the water in my bathing suit. 
And Anders is eight, and these boys are like nine or ten. And I overhear this, <laughs> this boy, this like nine-year-old, say to his friend, he's like, hey, is that your dad? And I think the weird thing about getting older is that like, I'm very aware that I'm a dad, but I think when you get older, you kind of still feel like your 14-year-old self in this shell, you know, whatever. But in that moment, I was like, oh, no, I look like a dad now. Um, I think I actually have a picture of me that day. Yeah, that's, I was like, yeah. <laughs> I, I look like a dad. I got that dad body. <laughs> Often, <laughs> uh, we have an image of what we should think we should be like. And then the reality of what we do seems in the way, right? It often can feel like, oh, my body, my body's in the way. My body's in the way. Um, love, love gets in the way. Love is in the way. See, uh, and we're experiencing now because it's a political year, so we're all getting ready to fight. But uh, on the spectrum of tribalism, which tribalism says it's our way or the highway, and you have two different sides. On the spectrum of tribalism, self-interest is the highest goal. Self-interest is the highest goal. And love gets in the way because love is self-emptying. Love is selfless. And so actually, love has to die. So something has to die because it, love is always going to get in the way of self-interest. So love in the kingdom of fear is in the way. And then I feel like reality is in the way. Uh, I'm an adult and I'm a person of faith and I feel like there's two things in every conversation I have with other adults who are people of faith. One is we talk about the Enneagram. Uh, I'm a four. And then the second one is what show are you watching, <laughs> right? These are like in every conversation I'm at and I'm like, no, I haven't seen season three. I'm sorry. Uh, but it feels like the, we're, we're taking, partaking story after story after story and I don't know about you, but it feels like my life, my actual reality, isn't as interesting as the Avengers. Uh, if I, I, like, nick my elbow and I'm out for a day, right? I, nobody's thrown me into a wall. And I don't have superpowers. And my life doesn't look like a really awesome narrative arc over eight episodes. And I've got small children, and it feels really boring a lot of the time. And often it feels like my, the very own reality I live in is in the way. And all of these things that feel in the way, they begin to lead us to a destructive place. And we all are aware of, you know, the habits and suicides and, and the destructive things that this kingdom of fear is living, is leading us to. So let's talk about the kingdom of love, the kingdom of heaven. And I would propose to you that the images that we put in that imagination, Jesus is saying, hey, this is the way. This is the way. And first is this. This. This is the way. Um, one, of, one of my favorite, if I had to think back on to some people who had really great imaginations that affected me as a kid growing up, um, the first one was the Muppet Babies. I don't know if you've ever watched this cartoon. The Muppet Babies was a cartoon about the Muppets, but they're, uh, they're babies. There you get it. 
And uh, they're all in this little preschool or this nursery, and they're playing together. And every now and they have these crazy things. Every now and then Nan would walk in, and they're like, oh, hey, we're just hanging out, Nanny. And then they're, you know, their toys would turn into Star Wars episodes. Or, the, you know, their very normal things would all of a sudden be all of these catalysts for amazing stories. And what I loved about this as a kid was to go like, hey, all of this is actually the things we get to play with and get to invent stories with. And then the second one was, uh, now there's no music, but do you maybe know this intro? It's MacGyver, um, which I, if you don't, if you take out the, the, the theme song, it's just a man doing things. He's like plugging it in, pulling it out, opening it up, jiggling it. You know, it's just, it's really funny. And then a big explosion, which never happened in the entire show. Uh, that was just for that. And then he's like, I'm going to roll. I'm going to eat an ice cream cone. I'm going to look awesome with a mullet in front of an airplane. So that's like, anyways, but if you know the premise of MacGyver, MacGyver worked for the Phoenix Foundation, which I was, as a seven-year-old, I was like, how do you get that job? And, um, but he would like solve problems, all right? He would solve problems. And the premise of the show is that he was really good at chemistry and physics and all this stuff. And so he would find himself in a situation that he didn't know how to get out of. And the solution was everything around him. He just had to figure out, it's like, I could take that, and I could take this, and I could take this, and I make it blah, 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 and then I can get out of this scenario. And what I've come to find that life really is, is life is about going, the answer is already here. The solution, the thing that you need is already here. And so here is a prayer for us that allows us to see this kingdom working out. You will be given everything you need to accomplish what you've been asked to do. And that solution to the problem you find yourself in may be hidden. And that is the work that you're invited to do. It might be hiding out in a friend or a stranger, a neighbor. It might be hiding out in like your resources or your talents that you've been like laying dormant for a while. And that is the invitation is that the kingdom of love, the kingdom of heaven, this is where that kingdom is working out. And then there's the this behind this, the this behind this. So there's the story of Jesus, and he models this really well. They, um, there's this woman who's caught in adultery, and they bring her, be, bring her before Jesus. You know, they don't bring the man, because he didn't do anything, right? And, <clears throat> and all of these leaders are like, hey, this woman committed, we caught her in the very act of adultery, and it says in our law that we have the right to stone her. What do you think? And then you probably heard the story. Jesus, like, gets down, and he starts, like, moving the dirt around. And then they're like, what do you say, Jesus? And he says, hey, if you have... If you've committed no sin, throw the first stone. And then it says that the older men started to leave first all the way to the younger one until nobody was there. And then Jesus looks at the woman and she, he's like, hey, where are your condemners? And she's like, they've all gone. Nobody's here. And he goes, I don't condemn you either. But go and leave your life of sin. Go and leave the things that are destroying you. And I've heard this story preached, maybe you have too, hundreds and hundreds of times. Times And sometimes the preacher will be like, what was Jesus writing in the ground? You know, was he writing, some people are like, he was writing the sins of the very men there, or he was writing the Ten Commandments, or he was doing, you know, whatever. And if it was super important, it would be in the text. <laughs> it would be in the text, but it's not. And so maybe actually the important thing, besides it just being a really great distraction tool, Maybe what's important is actually the symbol of Jesus getting down and moving the dirt. Because the very first story about us 
is about dirt, about a creator taking the dirt and making a form. And dirt is just all the elements of the universe and making a form. But what gives that form life is not the form itself. It's this breath, the spirit that has come from the almighty, the giver of our existence, and that has been breathed into us. And Jesus is saying, you see her, but you have not seen her. You're not seeing deep enough. You're just seeing this. You're not seeing the this behind the this, which is all of us come from the same place. This uh, Vietnamese Buddhist monk named Thich Nhat Hanh has this exercise called interbeing, and it's, it's fascinating. He'll, he'll show you a piece of paper, and he'll go, do you see this piece of paper? Can you see the cloud in this paper? Because it takes a cloud to create rain to fall to the ground, which grows trees, which is where we get paper from. So can you see the cloud in this paper? Can you see the sun in this paper? Because it takes the sun to shine on our planet. The sun actually causes all things to grow. And it caused this tree to grow to make this paper. Can you see the sun in this paper? Can you see the logger in this paper? Because it took somebody to cut down the tree and haul it to the mill to create this paper. Can you see the logger's parents in this paper? Can you see the logger's grandparents and so on and so forth? And he says, everything has an interbeing about it. Everything is connected. Can you see the this behind the this? And I think to live in the kingdom that Jesus is calling us into, it's to be able to see the this behind the this. And then lastly, <clears throat> everyone, which is challenging. Everyone. Everyone is the way. Um, I'm going to tell you a story. It's not my own story. My friend Joan is a delightful septuagenarian. Um, she spent most of her career being a nurse and then a hospice care worker. Um, and then she retired and she became a painter. And we met at this art show. And we were hauling our stuff out to our cars. And she told me this story. And it made me burst into tears. I don't expect that from you, but I'm trying. <laughs> Joan grew up in Tacoma, Washington. She actually moved from St. Louis with her parents and her brother when she was about five. And within a year of living in Tacoma, Washington, her mom died of an illness. And uh, because of their financial state and her dad just being, and this is in like the, <clears throat> the 40s, the 50s, um, because of their, is in the 50s, because of their financial state, and she's like, look, my dad was unabashedly racist, uh, but because we were so poor, thus began a series of African-American nannies that started to come into my life because they were a lot less expensive than the white nannies. And Joan was like, I didn't care what color they were. I just knew they weren't my mom. And so my brother and I, as best to our ability, were just the complete jerks that children can be to nannies. And we like tried to make them quit. Tried to, we made them cry all the time. And we were really good at it. And she's like, but then this one nanny came into our life and we loved her. She had an amazing, sweet voice and a kind face. And she filled apart a gap in my life that I needed to fill, and I love that nanny. Years later, it's about 1968, about a year before Martin Luther King was shot, um, she's in the nursing program in Tacoma. She's over at some friend's house, and they find out that there's actually going to be a civil rights march in Tacoma, Washington. And she's like, hey, we got to go to her friends and her boyfriends there. And they're like, no, that's not our thing. 
like let them do their thing. And she's like, no, we need to go support this. We need to go down there. And her friend's like, no, you go. We don't want anything to do with it. In fact, as she was on her way to the door, her boyfriend was like, hey, if you go down, um, I just think we shouldn't, we should just end this. And she's like, fine, whatever. So she makes, she ends it. She's on her way down to where they're meeting to do this march. And she gets down there and she's like, I didn't know a lot of people there, but I actually saw a woman who was like, friends. She was like the daughter of a friend of her nanny that she kind of played with growing up. And so she sees her. She's like, I haven't seen you in years. Um, can, I, uh, can I walk with you? And she's like, yeah, please do. And so uh, Joan, who's this just like white, Irish, Catholic, feisty, she's like, I was very angry then. Uh, I was there to be in this march. I was there to like help these people and march with them and do all the things. And she's like, so the march started hundreds of people walking the streets of Tacoma. And first, the crowd on the side was very sparse, but it got, as they started making their way to downtown, it got larger and larger, the crowd on the side. And uh, at first, some things were muttered, some things were said loudly, eventually some slurs were spoken. Eventually, people started throwing things. They started throwing rocks into the audience, into the crowd, marching. And Joan was like, I didn't believe in God, uh, but I prayed. And I said, God, would you let a rock fall in front of me? And she's like, lo and behold, the Lord works in mysterious ways. And a rock fell right in front of her because all she wanted to do was pick up that rock and throw it back at the crowd. And so she did. She reached down, she grabbed the rock, and she went back to throw. And she said, in that moment, I felt my friend's arm come around me and grab my hand. And then her other arm came around my backside and gave me an embrace. And she whispered into my ear, she said, no, no, honey child, we do not throw rocks at our goals. We do not throw rocks at our goals. And Joan said in that moment, she completely just like blacked out. She just lost where she was. And she saw in front of her two paths, two paths. And she saw the path that she was on that looked like violence and revenge and anger. And then she saw this other path open up that looked like love and forgiveness and wholeness. And she was asked, which one do you want to walk down? And she let go of the rock and it fell to the ground. And she said her heart like cracked open and love filled her heart. She's like, that was the first time I'd ever experienced love, really, and the first time I experienced God. And this woman kept her arm around me, and we just walked the rest of the time. And she's like, in that moment, changed my life. And I burst into tears because I understood what she was saying. Like, her friend, who was there marching for her very dignity and equality, and yet if you study and you listen to the women and men who like formed the Civil Rights March in America, their deep, deep spiritual Christian conviction was like, hey, we've heard the gospel and we are going to stand and proclaim our dignity and quality because we are heading for a kingdom, but they're going to be there too, even though they're throwing rocks now even though they're throwing rocks now. Everyone is the way. Church is changing. We all feel it. It's changing a lot. And look, if you're obsessed with the form of it, 
you might get disappointed because throughout time, church looked really different in 1880 and it's going to look different in 2080. But the form is just here to get to the essence and I don't know what it's changing into. We're going to have to have that conversation. But I am not afraid. I'm not afraid because like Christian, Christian wasn't even the first thing that this was called. Do you know that Christian was like a joke? <laughs> like a, a ruler was like, oh, you're like little Christ. And then the Christians were like, we'll take that. That's great, right? That's not even what it was called right away. Always from the very beginning, the first women and men who followed Jesus and when he ascended and he filled them with the Holy Spirit and said, go out and do this thing, they understood that what they were a part of was to not like see the world as in the way, but they called themselves the way. This thing was first called, it's the way. This is the way. Will you pray with me? God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, <laughs> the mysterious, unknown, unfathomable giver of our very lives, we find ourselves in the midst of a complicated reality and world, and maybe that's just what living is. But we see modeled, Jesus, in your life, a way of not being anxious, a way of opening ourselves to a kingdom of heaven that's right here in our midst, which is to believe and to understand and to engage with the voice and work of God already active in our lives. So today, if we are blind to that, would you open our eyes so that we can see? If we are deaf to that, would you open our ears so we can hear your voice? Would you open up our hands because we understand that in generosity and openness that we interact with you in this very world. This world isn't in the way. This is the way to you. We thank you for your truth and your word and your love found in the presence of this community, of this world, and in your very Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ectasiahouston.org.